We are back, back for another edition of the Letterman Jacket, a post-Bedlam edition of the Letterman Jacket. We're here with Garen Emig, typically a Wednesday participant of the Jacket here on a Monday. And Garen, this is the 21st episode of the Letterman Jacket. Reggie Pearson, Sooner Safety, wears number 21. So does walk-on Braylon Colgrove. And 2021, that is the last season in which Lincoln Riley, Alex Grinch, and Bob Stoops all coached for the Sooners. We are going to dive into it all. We've got Bedlam to talk about. We've got a Sooners season. That, that, I don't know, spiraling might not be the word when you're 7-2, and two, but we're not far from there. there. Something's happening to this season. We're going to dive into all that, where the Sooners stand in the Big 12 race, what it means, all this for Brent Venables' second season at OU. We will hit all that. But first, word from our sponsors, good friends at Rose Hill Builders, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Oklahoma Ford Dealers, Our Blood Institute, Bob Moore Auto Group, and Garen, of course, our friends at Fire Lake and Fire Lake Casino. You can join the team at Citizen Potawatomi Nation. 75 positions available right now, one of the nation's many businesses. Visit firelakejobs.com to find out more. Garen, some thoughts if this whole sports writing thing doesn't work out for us. <laughs> There's jobs at firelakejobs.com. I wonder what it was like uh, watching Bedlam at the casino out at Fire Lake this weekend. Was it, was, would it have been as intense there as any other watch party or watch scene? Hmm. I bet OU would've... fans might have preferred to be there than, than Stillwater in, in the celebrations that unfolded oh, after what was uh, a, a final Bedlam that I, I think delivered on the rivalry. It, it mm-hmm. probably The only thing I think was missing was this being a night game. That would have given it mm-hmm. the ultimate bedlam feel it, it in that sense i think felt a little bit different from 2021 but point is this game delivered in, in the ways bedlam is always delivered intense close a lot of dumb stuff happened a lot of <laughs> exciting football but also silly football yep. um and it, it ended uh in an oklahoma state win 27 24 in stillwater fans stormed the field at boom picking stadium goalposts end up at theta pond that's two goalposts in ponds in two weeks for ou you got to hit up Mike Brooks to find out, uh, OU historians, the last time, not not two straight upsets, but two times in a row the goalposts have ended up in ponds after an OU game. That's got to be some kind of record. I'm not saying plan on this happening, but uh, <laughs> note, note for both of us, the week of the BYU game, <clears throat> the closest body of water to the stadium the Cougars play in in Provo, just in case. Well, do we know how close it is? No, I'm just. Well, I, I thought you were about to tell me. I thought you had done some advanced scouting. Oh, no, you're asking. You're waiting for the punt. Yeah, you're waiting for the the exclamation point. It's a question mark, Eli. I'm sorry, I set well, that up all wrong. That's no, all right, but it, it's worth <laughs> noting, and it would not surprise me if the folks in Provo, maybe they've got stamina. I don't know how close the closest body of water is, I mean, but Salt Lake is where in Provo. Well, is there a Salt Lake? Is, is there a lake in Salt Lake City? These are the, the great questions we're asking on a Bedlam Monday and before we hit the BYU in a couple of weeks. I mean, there's, well, a fountain a, there's a fountain on every campus, right? So if there's not a pond or a lake or, or a stream or a creek, as I understand they, is how they pronounce it up in, uh, up in Provo, um, then you can always dump the goal, <laughs> goal post. Go find a body of water. If there's a win... Anywhere there's a college football fan base with goalposts in hand, they will find a body of water. Yeah. It's it's a, basically a law of science. So, point is, Oklahoma State fans got to celebrate this one pretty well. They did. Uh, 
while while Oklahoma retreated to, to the visiting locker room at at Boone Pickens Stadium, trying to still searching for answers and trying to pick up the pieces in a season that again I, I don't want to get too hyperbolic, but you know whether you want to say lost or has has run astray this year. Uh, in in just a matter of weeks, OU is in a completely different spot. Where do you want to begin? I mean, is it is it the offense? Is it a defense that was still you know good, got stops, but you know, made made mistakes, or or is it Brent Venables in, in a coaching uh, game where we predicted it last week, or we discussed it last week on the mm-hmm. jacket? You know, who had the coaching advantage? We wondered if it was Mike Gundy. It it played out that way ultimately in Stillwater. Yeah, specific to the game, I want to come back to what you said about it's in a different place. I want to make some time uh, before we we want, we finish the show to <clears throat> discuss whether it's a different team. I don't think it is. I just, I mean, I think if, you, if you're looking for an overall, if people are saying, well, what happened to the team that beat Texas? I don't think that team went anywhere. It's just that things are turning out differently for that team. It, I don't think the offense, or the defense has changed all that much outside of, I say that, outside of obviously the, the absence of Stutzman on defense, Andrew Anthony and Justin Harrington, getting, they've gotten used to that a little bit more. I'm not saying it didn't matter that Stutzman was in the lineup on Saturday, but by and large, this is this is the same team that beat Texas. It's just that the games are working out differently, and I, I don't I don't want people to mistake one for the other. Specific to Bedlam, the I, I to me Eli the defense played well enough to win point blank. If you look, you hand me the stat sheet before the game kicks off that 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 finished Bedlam. And you see what Ollie Gordon's production looked like. You see that Alan Bowman, although really, really good and with a really strong-looking stat line, didn't throw a touchdown pass. I'm, what you know? What's the two percent chance OU loses a game with that stat sheet? And to me, the two percent falls on the offense, not just on Jeff Levy. Again, I know there's still a lot of consternation in, in Sooner Nation about things he didn't do, especially second straight week that he's having to face the Wolves. But on um, on plays that just weren't made, and on mistakes that were just were just grossly untimely. I mean, it it wasn't just that turnovers and mis, mis missed execution and botched play calling set up OSU for success. It's that those plays short circuited OU's own success. If you go back and look at some of the things that went wrong for the OU offense, Eli, those things happened right after there was much success, right? And that's, that's the killer here. Uh, when, when you say you had every chance to, um, to help yourself and put a little distance between you and your opponent and win a very important game, a lot of times people just say that. A lot of times coaches just say that. You look at the play-by-play of what happened Saturday in Stillwater, and we know that for OU, and that's, that's going to stay with this team for a bit. I mean, the first example of that, right, is Nick Anderson is that big 49-yard reception on the, I think it was their second drive. Yes. Uh, and the next snap is that, mm-hmm. whether it was the direct snap to Javante Barnes or it was supposed to go to Dylan Gabriel, we know where it went. It, it went to Javante Barnes. Uh, and that cut out momentum right there. Later in the half, Nick Anderson has that drop on the deep ball from Gabriel. You know, Dylan Gabriel, I think the throw before, right, we agreed it maybe underthrown Jaleel Farouk. That throws on the money, and if Nick Anderson hauls it in, and he's been so sure-handed for most of the season, mm-hmm. uh, that's different. The botch snap later in the game, plenty of things that you can't necessarily pin on Jeff Levy, um, despite all the things you could throw his way. 
And it is an offense that seemingly has, you know, if you look at the numbers, statistically, they, they break down great. This OU offense is still, you know, top in the country. You know, they ended Saturday, I know, fourth in scoring, seventh in total yardage. You look at efficiencies, like they're all there. And you're wondering how, you know, OU fans could be upset about their offensive coordinator based on those numbers. But it's it's kind of the timeliness. You mentioned that, the timing here. Bad timing Saturday. They just don't seem to be an offense that A, can create consistently, but B, when they have a moment to to pull ahead on an, uh, on an opponent and change the, the, the tenor of a game, mm-hmm. not only do they not do it, they, they have found in recent weeks miraculous ways not to do it and, and to shift the momentum back uh, in the direction of some some opponent. And that was the killer here. You, you, you're right. The defense played well enough to win this game. The offense, whether you want to point at Jeff Levy, there's plenty of blame to throw his way, or just you know execution, mistakes, all that. That's the reason we're sitting here talking. We can get into coaching too, but we are talking about two loss Oklahoma, Oklahoma team that lost the last bedlam, all that because this offense just couldn't quite get out of its own way. Right, and I'm really glad you brought up the – the Gabriel's best moment was that pass to Anderson that you referenced it. It wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't just the biggest play of that, of that part of OU's offense, the passing game, but it was really it's Gabriel's best moment because he bought himself some time and he, he, he saw a receiver that we had a pretty good view of the play from where we were sitting. I, I didn't see Nick Anderson and we, and we're above, right? We're, we're where you're supposed to see everything. I don't know how Gabriel saw him and he not only saw him, he threw a dart, Play goes for 49 yards, and, and yet that's right. The next snap after that is the one where you're thinking, was that supposed to be a trick play that, that blew up in Levy's face, or was that Andrew Rame not on the same page with Dylan Gabriel, right? I mean, um, I'll give you another example of, of what you're talking about. Uh, maybe examples, plural, but um, I, well, here, here, Billy Bowman, we're talking about defense doing things to win the game, picks, up, picks off uh, – the, the trick play, the halfback pass that Gordon threw. That was, man, yeah. that pass for that Casey Dunn drew up. We, we joked about <laughs> it as it happened. Felt a bit like Casey Dunn saying, hold my beard, Jeff Levy. You think you can do crazy and ineffective? <laughs> Watch me. Yeah, there's, there's a parallel universe, uh, Eli, where OSU loses the game that it should have won. And uh, the post-game interview room is where Alan Bowman, and he, he said this, by the way. Alan Bowman said, we, we didn't have a plan for if I was covered on a double pass. <laughs> he admitted it. Which I thought was was just was just delicious. And it's hilarious so, in, the, in the aftermath of a win, it would have been uh that would have led your, you know, your Casey Dunn column if they'd lost that oh game. Oh my word. <laughs> and so, so um since so Gordon has to check check off of his primary and try to and actually, he had, if he thrown it earlier and straighter and, and sharper, he actually might have completed it. I think it was Owens is who he was trying to throw to. And, but but yeah. he threw it as high as he threw it far, right? Anyway, Bowman picks it off, but back to the original train of thought. You know, he intercepted the pass. He, he runs it back to near midfield. The next play from scrimmage for Oklahoma is an 11-yard gain for Tawi Walker, who at that time is, is, is punching holes in OSU's defense. So they're in OSU territory, up a, up a score, Oklahoma with the ball, and then three straight running plays for Walker, net five yards, and all and G- G- uh, Gabriel's quick kicking. I mean, that's that's not just that's a combination of two things. That is OU not standing its own success, you know, making a big defensive play when it looked like they were about to give up the lead, 
making something happen with their first snap on offense behind Walker. And then going into a shell where we've heard that before, if you're Levy with three straight runs, Walker carries for two and three on the first two, it's third and five. Gabriel doesn't have rain or wind and, or cold to worry about here. We're back to pick up a first down and try to go win the game. And instead they ran Walker again for, for no gain. And then quick kick, which worked out because he down the ball. I was going to say, don't, let's not get lost in here on how good Dylan Gabriel's punting well, skills were. It's the best moment of OU special teams, and it wasn't <laughs> a special teams play. <laughs> um, Man. But, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, things happened after that. A million things happened after that to, to help lose the game for the Sooners. But there's an example of not just players not executing. The run game all of a sudden, you know, sinks. For, on OSU's half of the field. And then essentially Jeff Levy doesn't say, I trust Gabriel enough to do something on third and five at that point of the game. I mean, uh, the Sooners didn't do something on the third and five and the, uh, or the, uh, yeah, the third and five and the third and, I'm sorry, third and 10, right? And then fourth and five mm -hmm. at the end, the five yarder to Farouk was on fourth and 10. I think so. Uh, at no, the end of the game, ten. third and yeah, ten, third and ten, they third get they gain five yards, and then they've got five more to go on the Stoops play that they didn't so get. So maybe, maybe it's not Le Lebby not trusting Gabriel, but maybe based on that sequence, it's Lebby not trusting himself at this point. But well, either way, here's the thing: I guess that this closes the, the broad point of like the first half being that this offense still puts up numbers, but the second point being that they don't do it. They don't have anything consistent. What's their identity? That That's, to me, an interesting thing. And that drive you mentioned there, I think, really exposes that. I couldn't tell you what it is, or we couldn't have said before that drive, oh, you gets that interception, just like mm -hmm. it did against Kansas, right? An interception, defense makes a play that can let OU put this game away. Mm -hmm. Yet they take over in a really advantageous spot. And I don't know that either of us before that series could have told told the other here's what OU is going to do here because this is their bread and butter. This is what they do well. When they need first downs, they do this. They didn't have any of that, and they don't have any of that, and it showed there. It showed late in the game. I guess, you know, at this point, the, the final drive at Texas, not taking away from it, but it feels more and more like a uh, that was a deception from what they really are in, in those moments because two weeks in a row now we've seen them get the ball with, you know, a minute or 55 seconds on the clock, and again, it's you know, they can find Drake Stoops for a big play on fourth down. They, they, they will throw to him short of the sticks. But point is, they don't have something that they do exceptionally well, better than anybody, that they can go to when they need it. And I don't know if that's on Dylan Gabriel or if it's on the thin depth at running back and the lack of health for Tyler Walker. Is it about the receivers and the fact that, you know, with Andrew Anthony out, they seem to have lost someone? Mm-hmm. We know it was important. It's felt even more important the last few weeks. I, I sure didn't think this offense was going to hinge on, on Andrew Anthony's health as, as good as he was. Or is it Jeff Levy and it's yeah. the play calling and, and the game management here? And that takes us into coaching and Brent Venables in, in this game. They, they've come up short. And the fact that I believe now they're two and seven in one score games under Brent Venables, you know, the, they talked a lot last year about you know the one score games didn't go their way early this year. It felt like they were flipping that script, and that felt you know at least like the recipe to ten wins or, or being in a Big Twelve mm -hmm. title game. But that number two and seven in these tight games and things like late game management, discipline, all the small things that kill you in close games, they keep mm -hmm. cropping up for OU. 
And again, it may, you know, maybe it brings us into the coaching conversation. Brent Venables is poised in yep. this game. Um, it was lacking, and here we are talking about a, a two-loss OU team. Well, it's got to be a little bit, not a little bit, a lot frustrating in that we're wherever you want to lay the blame. Um, you are, we are on repeat here. You brought up the lack of identity, if not last week, Eli coming out of Kansas, uh, maybe hinted at it beforehand when they nearly let UCF slip away. I wrote a column for sellout crowd last week saying that OU's lack of discipline makes essentially what used to be called championship November aspirational, right? I mean, it's more aspiration than expectation because of things that uh, weren't happening at the, t- the time of year where you need them to happen and things that you can help. Forget about the other team. It's hard enough to beat conference opponents and, and rivals like Oklahoma State in November any year. But when you, based on how they're playing, but when you're hurting yourself as much as the other team is hurting you, and it's November, not September. This stuff is excusable in September, right? I mean, if you look again, if you're looking at this through the prism of Oklahoma State, you can store. You can sort of just, you know, there's some things that are a little bit unforgivable about how OSU started the year, especially in terms of the quarterback and the uh, tailback identities. But you could see the team growing through some issues, learning from their mistakes, and then fixing them as they move forward. That, that OSU may be the best case example in the country of that. If they're the best case, I'm not sure Oklahoma isn't among the worst case because we're right back to lack of discipline. Wasn't just Venables getting a 15 yarder for where he was, not necessarily what he said, but where he was uh, in that key moment of Saturday's game, but the false starts at the receiver position, right? Uh, uh, Tyler Guyton has a, has a critical false start. The pass interference penalty on Vickers that preceded Venables uh, outburst that got an extra 15 yards and all, and the turnovers. I mean, I, I mean, do you, again, do you chalk up two poor snaps to, some something went wrong with between Raym and Gabriel. That's not Levy's responsibility, or is that? To, to, I think the fan will pivot to that's a team that doesn't have its bleep together when it must have it. And again, for for us to be coming back to the same responses to Oklahoma's problems two weeks in a row is troubling at at, at best. Well, I will. Return to the to the bench penalty, the unsportsmanlike conduct that Brent Venables had called on him. Because when this team has been at its best, we have referred to it as a reflection of its head coach. Talked about a team that you know toes the line well of being on the edge of intensity but disciplined and all that. When mm-hmm. OU's been good, they have looked you know like a Brent Venables team in in all those great ways. But who spent a few minutes on Tuesday last week talking about? He was talking about tackling in this instance, but being a reflection of himself was Brent Venables. And so to me, when I watch a second half or OU, you know, whether it was turnovers, whether it was penalties, whether it was just the little things kind of fall apart. And then we see for a second straight week, Brent Venables or or his bench, in this case, it really was Brent Venables, pick up an unsportsmanlike call that tacks on 15 more yards to a 15-yard penalty on a fourth-quarter scoring drive. That that stands out. It can't be ignored, and and you can mm-hmm. chalk it up to you know. Did the ref have a quick trigger? You know, Brent said I didn't say anything, um, and 
you know, should someone be penalized for being too far out on the field? All that you can point to. And I, I know there are OU fans who will, who, who have some pretty decent and reasonable gripes with the officiating. Um, and maybe you can point to that too and say, you know, I've seen coaches do much worse and not get called. I might've seen Mike Gundy get more animated than Brent Venables did on that play and not get called on Saturday, but who cares? It, it, it got flagged. It cost the Sooners. Mm-hmm. And once again, Brent Venables and, and his sideline played a role in, in helping a team down the field this time on a long, lengthy scoring drive that made it a lot easier on the Cowboys. I can't look at that and then look at a team that's lacking discipline and, and s- separate those things, particularly, mm-hmm. again, when we credit Brent Venables so much when this team is at its best, it reflects him as well when they're struggling. And this leads me back, Eli, to a general theme that I want to make sure we hit, we get a point, get across today. And that is this, this isn't that different a team that beat Texas. It just isn't. All right. I mean, this is, this is not a vintage Lincoln Riley, you know, point a minute offense. This is not a vintage first couple of years of the Stoops regime. Tommy Harris, Teddy Lehman, Derek Strait defense, Roy Williams, right? Rocky Kalmus. It's not. It's getting better. Both both sides of the ball are getting better. Both sides of the ball are in better places than they were certainly a year ago. That's irrefutable. But this was not, I don't think, according to my eyes, even coming out of the Cotton Bowl, a playoff team, right? This, this might have been a Big 12 championship team or a Big 12 championship game appearing team. But did you really want, were you going to line up that team against Georgia or Ohio State or Michigan or Washington uh, or Oregon, right? Or uh, even Alabama and, and feel pretty good about your chances? I don't think so. What's different is that the margins in which the Sooners were winning those games through Texas and even through UCF, right? After the, after the open date, they're failing them now. They're, they're not making plays at the times they need to make them. They're not getting help from coaches where they point to the game where they need help. It's happened two weeks in a row, and it's cost them in those margins. And that's why discipline – I know it, coaches say it so much it becomes a cliche. Fans don't want to hear about it. They don't want to read about it. They, that's not it. It's Jimmy's and Joe's and blah, blah, blah. But not with a team like this. Those are the things that could lose games in those margins. OU was always going to have to win or lose in the margins with this team. That's just the reality of the situation. To think otherwise is to, is to live in a, in a fantasy land. And that's the difference between the, text, the, the Oklahoma team that walked out of the Cotton Bowl. They were winning those games in the margins and the one that struggled to beat UCF and the one that's now lost back-to-back weeks against KU and OSU. You're exactly right. And, you know, Brent said it, and he, I, I think he was right. There's a lot in this post game, but, you know, he said, we're not good enough to do a lot of the, the stuff we did and win games. Yeah. And as, as much as there is to talk about this game, it's probably as simple as two teams, as, as we, you know, joked at the jump here, two teams that did a lot of things to lose this football game and OU committed, you know, lost the turnover battle. And that really might have been ultimately the difference here. If one of those drives goes differently, Maybe in the first half we hit on those, second half the same. Things go differently there, score flips, and we're having a different conversation. So that is there, and and as you point out, the margins have flipped on them, and that this is largely the same team. The one place, and it's so hard to quantify, and it's what I wrote about Saturday in Stillwater, is if something less tangible has been lost about this team, because one difference to me, I'm not saying that, that this team does not have the fight or the intensity mm-hmm. it once had, 
because they fought plenty hard on Saturday, but there was a fearlessness they had about them early in the season, certainly at the Cotton Bowl, that has seemingly disappeared. And that, that that's what the eye test said. And you, you got mixed answers post game, you know, plenty of, you know, for for instance, Drake Stoops. We have a process, we're gonna keep with that process, we're gonna get ready for West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Dylan Gabriel for a second straight week just felt like he was at a loss for words. Um said something to the effect of do you have a sense that this team can get it back together? And he said, I don't know. We're gonna find out. We'll see. But McCabe Matoyer, who I've, I've always enjoyed talking to, offensive linemen are usually a good place to go for insight. You know, he told it was he told this to a group, and then Barry Trammell and I hung back and, and chatted with him after he he was kind of done. Said at halftime Saturday, the offensive line and the offense they were down seventeen fourteen. Was his words were down and out? They were dejected at halftime, and that was on his mind after the final whistle in that game. Is is a group that just sort of let it get to them more than maybe it had earlier in the year. Does that account for three points or, or things like that? Who knows? But in 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 Dallas, there was a fearlessness about this team. It's been replaced by something different. And when you're talking about the margins and the, the, the little things, your your mind goes there too. So something, something has changed. You're right. This team is the same, but something is different. And it now has OU in, in something of a precarious spot with West, West Virginia coming to town this weekend. Yeah, there, no, there's certainly room for an examination of, of mentality. You and I are going to both do that this week for sellout. And uh, I, I mean, I think the first thing I pivot to is, well, it, it is easier to be fearless and courageous and, and, you know, hardened by, you know, by your anything you did in practice and in camp when you're winning, especially big games. That's for sure. Yeah. And you, you come out of uh, the Cotton Bowl, place a cauldron that hot, beat a rival that, you know, detested in a game that means so much, as much as it does. Um, you're going to feel, you have a reason to feel good about yourself and fearless and courageous and, mm-hmm. and uh, hardened and all that stuff. But yeah, no, I, and, but this is where you have to start worrying if you're Venables, right? Because the results are, you are your record. And even if uh, coming out of Dallas, what were they, six and oh, right? Six and oh at that time, mm-hmm. seven and oh after mm-hmm. UCF, you maybe not the team that, certainly not vintage coming out of Texas undefeated OU teams of the past, not, not really to that standard, but if you're undefeated, you don't, you don't care. You feel pretty good about yourself. It's all that matters. And, but, but now you've got seven and two to coach to not six and or seven and oh, now you, you have, uh, we don't know what's going on. Now you have a monotone Dylan game. And Eli, I, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I didn't go to OU's locker room after the game. I got the uh, Cowboys call and spent a much different hour than you and Barry did. And a much different, you know, atmosphere. Uh, obviously, they were pretty jubilant across the way in in, uh, in the Cowboys interview room. I did hear. I, I saw the transcript of Gabriel's post game. Uh, I saw him use the word uh, apologies to the you know the the censors, uh, but shitty to describe the feeling twice. That was the word two, that was used. Two At different times, once, perhaps twice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I thought I saw it twice. And then I heard the interview itself on the way home, courtesy of the sports animal. And I was like, man, that is dejected. And it was, it, they played him, they played Gavin Sawchuk, they played Drake Stoops. Uh, might have been one more. It might have been Matoyer. But 
I was like, and I, I know it hurts to lose a game like that. And I know if you're the quarterback, it starts on, it starts and ends with you. That's how you feel the position more than you feel any other on your team. But I was, I was very surprised and alarmed at how he clearly, uh, how dejected he was, how hurt he sounded. And um, for him to be portraying that image, not image, mm-hmm. that's how he felt. It wasn't an image. That's just who he was. For a second straight week at this time of the year for the Sooners, it's worrisome. And I know that if, I'm going to try to – I'm thinking I'm asking Brent Venables about this tomorrow at the press conference. I assume he's going to – no big deal. We have every bit of faith and confidence in Dylan Gabriel. Teammates are going to say the same thing. Maybe Dylan presents a, a different vibe at practice after, after interviews tonight at practice. But Eli, it doesn't change the fact of how – not. it wasn't so much how he played because I thought he played well overall. It's how he sounded and how he felt that would have me pretty concerned if I was an OU fan. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's worth just noting. He's a guy who, in his two years here, he's taken the losses very hard. Mm-hmm. And so when you catch him 30 minutes after a game, a bad loss, he's that that fit that. But you're right, two weeks in a row, it's it's been striking. Um, and when you're starting to think about, when you're trying to figure out from where we stand, we're not in that locker room, but trying to figure out what the vibe is in there. Um, again, when things are good and we look to Dylan Gabriel as, as the, the pillar, um, when things are bad, you look at him too, and and that that could be telling of of the feeling in that locker room right now, and opens up a much bigger question of you know sort of what's perhaps happened or or how have these two games taken a toll on a team that now is three games in front of it, uh, plus a bowl game, might not be far from territory of really not having much to play for other than an Alamo Bowl or a Texas Bowl because we're we're going to jump now to to sort of the Big Twelve picture that oh mm-hmm. you you know, finds itself still in. Um, but all of that, if, if this season is quote unquote lost in any way, playoffs out, big 12 title game might be out at that point, you know, again, what's left, but three games with, you know, two teams, they, three teams they'll never play again. And a bowl game that many sooner fans would probably say is meaningless. If we're talking Texas or Alamo, unless we're talking about a USC OU Alamo say- bowl. Yeah. Uh, but all right. So point is, but th- th- all of that should yeah. be concerning. Now we dive into these final three games. It starts yeah. with West Virginia Saturday night in Norman. Then they go to Provo. Then they go to TCU. OU is seven and two. It has two losses in the Big Twelve. They're still in the picture. But Garen, what, what did the other night do? Just looking at the conference standings, look at where Texas and OSU are, Kansas and K State. This season was all about just getting to Arlington at the very baseline that now looks a lot more difficult for OU. It does. Um, I, I would say that, I mean, if let's say they went out and still don't get to Arlington, what, 10 and two after six and seven, right? But the potential to be 11 and two is going to, I'm not, it's, it's not going to make people forget about what happened in Stillwater Saturday. And it's not good. Those who had bought into the dream, right? Coming out of the Cotton Bowl, it's not going to make them feel, you know, completely 180 degrees different. But if you're Venables and the coaching staff, right, and if you're Joe Castiglione who hired Venables and you are, uh, you're looking for momentum and reason to believe and reason to get behind the transition that's coming, you know, the SEC, I, you could do a lot worse than 10 wins, right? 11 wins if you, if you win, you know, the Alamo, for instance. Uh, in the meantime, I'd like like hell for uh, TCU or Iowa State to beat Texas. 
<laughs> there's still, there sure. are still there are still paths because the Big 12 uh, hasn't been decided yet. There are still paths for this team to get to Arlington. Uh, as weird as it sounds, you don't have the tiebreaker anymore over the Cowboys. Uh, you might be okay with the OSU winning out, Texas losing, you having the tiebreaker advantage head-to-head, and you getting somehow to uh, Jerry World not to play Texas in a rematch, but to play OSU in a rematch. Boy, would that be a story. That, yeah, and then you really have to chan- have the chance to flip the narrative or the, or the taste or, or whatever you want to call it from where we are right now. So I think there's actually quite a bit to play for, and I think the opportunity is there for the Sooners to, to, to really uh, not, again, not flip it 180 degrees back the other way, but how about at least somewhere between 90 and 120, right? Again, um, proving that you can finish a season strong, something that certainly didn't occur last year, proving that you do have resolve, that, you may, that people are sensing has slipped a little bit since uh, the way the KU game ended. And uh, specifically, if, we're back, if we land back on Dylan Gabriel, uh, I don't know if there's a great hue and cry now for Jackson Arnold. I don't think there is. I don't think people are putting what happened Saturday on Gabriel. But if he's in a different place because of the last two weeks and two losses, it's an opportunity for him to put himself back to a little closer to where he was leaving Dallas in the win over the Longhorn. So, no, I think the opportunity is here. But, it, again, it, it really is going to come down to between-the-line stuff, discipline, turnovers, a play to play consistency of, of you know positive things happening, not one step forward and even a half step back. That's got to change because it's gone the wrong way the last two weeks. I still think that's going to ultimately decide OU's next three games because to me, I'll repeat myself, they're the same team they were uh, uh, when they beat Texas. If the team is the same, the results have got to be different. So what can OU do differently? Uh, in, the, in those margins to to win the next three as opposed to uh, lose two out of three, or all three for that matter. Going to find out. On the Jackson-Arnold front, I, I would I think you're right. There's still too much to play for to really entertain that idea. I think if there were another loss coming up, I, or you know, or if, if the bowl game we're talking about is not a New Year's Six game, maybe there's a world where Dylan Gabriel isn't isn't playing that one. I mean, that's all speculation and so far down the road. But it's at least a thought now, again, as we think bigger picture and all that. But this weekend, 13-point favorites, Vegas undeterred by the Sooners, 13-point favorites little, over a West Virginia lot. team. Seems like a lot to Yeah, me. the West Virginia team that just smacked down uh, BYU. But, but anyway, I mean, this is, again, not – it's almost like returning to the early parts of the year where we were talking about Oklahoma and, and playing itself wasn't about the opponents they had. These next three games are going to be a greater test and indication of everything OU than it will be about the teams they're playing. The fact mm-hmm. is, no one's that bad, but no one's that good. There's not any. There's no more right. games that they're not going to play another ranked opponent. Um, so it's about the Sooners and where they pull it together from here with still something to play for. Before we jump in to, to some fun, some levity that much needed uh, on with gear in and gear out, but uh, I do want to ask you, bigger picture here because you're right 10 and 2 if, if that's where this ends or you know 10 and 3 11 and 2 bowl win um that if i told no you fan that in august they take that and we knew the schedule was relatively weak um th- th- that makes sense but the other thing that has been quite literally printed on t-shirts that the sooners were wearing in august was 
the date of the Big 12 title game. Mm-hmm. And they've been talking about a team that could hang a banner. Brent Venable said it, what, in June? Uh, SEC reveal. This is a team that, you know, basically said the defense is better. We can hang a banner here. And I, as much as the, the 10 wins, certainly big picture signals something good. I don't think we can get away from the fact of, of what the state of goal was, the mm-hmm. position OU was to get there, and the fact that it's possible they've thrown it away as we consider just the big picture and where we go from here. There, That's undeniably an issue, Eli, and um, a takeaway if they fall short. The other part of that is if Oklahoma wasn't up to standard, at least the standard that saw them make the playoff and, you know, dominate the league over a six to seven year stretch, the league wasn't up to standard either. It's a missed opportunity, not just because the Sooners didn't play up to their capabilities. That's, I think that's arguable because again, I think the capabilities of this team are arguable and, and will be the rest of the season. I don't think there's any doubt that if you watch this league this year, it, it didn't take that much more of an elevation and, and more of a consistency. Maybe I should say that more of a consistency in performance for Oklahoma to ensure a, uh, a spot in Arlington. I mean, I, I, I you know, I like myself. I'm the one that wrote the rematch is inevitable, right? You know, that's the first thing I wrote after OU Texas. That was you. Yeah. Maybe I'll go this find is, that article. Pull this, it up. Maybe this, maybe this is all my fault. <laughs> but so perhaps I overlooked the flaws that were inherent in this team even then because of, again, the, the goal line stand or the drive or, you know what I mean? The things that they did right to win that game that weekend. But I would stand by the fact that it wasn't just Oklahoma winning that game that made me so confident that we'd see the Sooners and Longhorns round two. It was the rest of the conference. And I, I just, outside of Stillwater, OSU is the anomaly of the exception. They have clearly coached and, and improved and bought in and gotten the mentality right above the, way above the rest of the pack. And that's why they're now in line to go to Arlington. But Look at what Texas did Saturday. Should have lost, should have, could have, right? Lost to Kansas State. Needed a couple of gifts Talking from about the thin margins, thin margins, right? That's, that's, that's what I'm saying. I mean, in Texas, is supposed to be a clearly better team than Oklahoma. And Texas is supposed to win the rematch if there is one. Well, there, yeah, I mean, this is, this is where we are in the Big 12 right now. And, and half of the crowd's going to say, well, that's a credit to Chris Kleiman and, and K-State. Half the crowd's going to say, look what KU is doing with Lance Leipold, Uh, 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 Matt Campbell at Iowa State. Some really good work is being done in some programs. Yes, but not enough work to make you think that a a team like Oklahoma or a team like Texas should have to win necessarily games in the margins like like they're needing to do. And uh, there's going to be missed opportunity, lost opportunity is what I'm saying, to your point. Correct. And I think, you know, if they get to 10, 11 wins – It'll be in a conf- you know, again, the this, this schedule was not that difficult. We knew that in August. Uh, it, it'll, it'll have come in a softer Big 12 than, say, the one we saw two years ago that just felt like a bloodbath. Um, but then again, so does the, the missed opportunity. It's the fact that a team that we feel like, you know, is, is one of the best in the conference couldn't quite take advantage of that if that's how this turns out. Mm-hmm. And that presents questions. Um, it doesn't derail the recruiting they're doing and the overall building that's getting done. You know, I think I, I was on the record on that in August of saying, and as we're finding out now, because of how on the margins all this is, you don't get to a title game. What does that really signal? 
but it certainly does signal something big, you know, to the fan base and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, they're on their way. They, they're, they're doing a lot of good stuff. A lot of good has happened in the last, right. it's, we're approaching now 24 months of Brent Venables uh, since his hiring. All that's been good, but there are questions. We're going to talk plenty, I'm sure. Maybe we'll have more to talk about on the offensive coordinator stuff. You know, Jeff Levy's future, other staff changes. That's all postseason stuff. It's far too early for that. But I think those are going to be the big picture conversations that we're having uh, when we get out of the the narrow on this season, start thinking about the big picture and looking forward to 2024. Garen, let's get out of here. Garen, get out. Kind of a buy or sell version. I guess it's always buy or sell, sort of. But I really need you to get into that mindset today. Okay. Gare in or Gare out on, on Jeff Levy post-game, particularly his, his answer on the fourth down play. Not only standing by the play call, which he can defend it, he can defend it, but the, the line in there that the Drake Stoops needed to be further up the field, which factually is correct, but in a post-game setting like that where a coach has a choice to make, I guess now I'm inserting my opinion here, but choice to make on, on accepting blame, doling any of it out, Garrett or Garrett out on that re- response? I'm Garrett out by the simple fact that, yeah, it's, I mean, I'm going to land on coach's responsibility when there are particular issues in play over a play. Uh, I mean, it's one thing if a guy drops a pass or the snap is all wrong. Um, I mean, things that are easy to sort of decipher where a player was put in a position to do something positive and didn't. There's only so much a coach can do, but for something like this, it's, it's, man, it just, it, it's just too much gray area. And that, that lands me on the side of you've got to assure that that passes beyond the stick. Oh, you and I covered it. Remember the game OSU played at Iowa State two years ago mm-hmm. on the Cowboy beat? Terrific game. Uh, OSU lost because they failed to uh, buy half a yard, right, to make a first down. I think he had the first down. But, yeah, it was Brennan Presley like, right at midfield, too. They had a fourth down and the, came up short, long review, whole deal. Consternation about the spot, right? Yeah, spot of the ball. And I, I couldn't get into that. I couldn't buy into that because how, how in the bleep do you call, if you're Casey Dunn in that situation or Mike Gundy, a pass on the wrong side of the marker? That's that's where I am on on what happened uh, on OU's last play Saturday. My critique too would just be that it, it seems like they singled out one option. Now Drake Stoops was their best option all day Saturday, and I've got no issue designing a play for him. But it really it it was a there was one shot, there was one bullet, uh, so to speak, in, in that play. And when it didn't work out, there was nowhere else to go. Uh, you had Drake Stoops kind of working against his body. All all not great. Hey, real, Venable, quick, real yeah. quick, did they have a timeout to call before that play? They did, and I actually think that's maybe the biggest critique did of they, them all. Did they, the, did they the call was running. They did not. Yeah. They made a call not to call that timeout. That's pretty dang important, I'd say. Just saying. And they'd burned, they'd burned one earlier in the second half. I think it had to do with Nick Anderson not being ready on a play. Uh, and, you know, are they operating differently with one timeout versus two? All that comes into it game game management we've talked about it enough brent venables his explanation on the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty you gear in or gear out on the whole thing well it was by the, the explanation matter it was by the book and he basically said i didn't say anything right or i didn't didn't 
said I didn't cuss anyone anything. out. Just asked a question was is how he put it. Yeah, he was also about I don't know about fifteen feet, that's, but he was pretty, he was pretty far removed from the sideline. I'll tell you that. That's that was it, right? I mean, it's not. And again, judgment same as the PI that wasn't called on the Stoops ball in the corner of the end zone. That's that's officials. That's a judgment call, and the coaches have a right to be frustrated over judgment calls that go against them, but. Venables has a choice to put himself in that literally in that position at that at that time. I so think don't, any don't coach go, don't go there. Any coach at any level of football would say to a player in some sense, don't put the put it in the referee's hands, right? Right. And Brent Venables went ahead and did that. Right. And that's again yep. returns to just sort of the baffling the, the lack of discipline that started right at the top. All right, moving on to, to Southern California. We're not not much levity so far, Eli. You, no, not you I, use the word levity. <laughs> well, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know that there's a lot of levity in Norman right now. The text I was getting yesterday from some friends in Norman didn't suggest that it was a light Sunday uh, post bedlam. Uh, Lincoln Riley finally cutting the cord on Alex Grinch. By all accounts, a very good dude, but a guy whose defenses were getting torched. Should Garin or Garout on, on that decision finally getting made? Garin on it being made, but Garout on <laughs> this. This, uh, this might have saved a little trouble. And and I mean, you, gosh, did you, did you see Caleb Williams and his mom after that game? Yeah, you, I didn't think of. I was you, the first guy I thought of was Alex Grinch. I mean, I don't mean to be dark about this, but I'm like. Alex Grinch ought to go over and like, what can I do the rest of my life to apologize to you? <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I, I, yeah. Well, I think it's on Lincoln Riley, right? On bringing Caleb Williams out there and, and they were not a playoff team last year. Maybe they weren't a playoff team this year, just the way that Oklahoma isn't, but burning, you know, Caleb Williams, presumably his last year uh, in college football. If he wanted to come back, he'd have to go get a waiver. So he's kind of stuck there. And a team that could have maybe gone to the playoff this year, many thought, hampered undoubtedly by a defense that, man, if you look at the just the results from the last six games, it's like 41 points to Colorado. They go up a bunch to Cal. It's one thing to get torn apart by Washington. Mm -hmm. But when Cal and Colorado are doing it, a little bit tougher to stand by uh, on Colorado. Pretty crazy. It was crazy that Deion Sanders had a former FBS head football coach as his college coordinator, like left a job uh, to go run that. He had Sean Lewis demoted him in favor of Pat Shermer, one of the most boring NFL coaches the last 10 years <laughs> and an offense that was averaging over 400 yards a game dropped below like 280 or something. Garin or Garout on that head coaching brilliance uh, or, or that move from Dion? You've answered that question for me, haven't you? <laughs> well, I need to, need to hear you say it. Garin, Garout? Garout. Garout for uh, for sure. All right. We're going to get closer to levity here. But first, uh, OSU Texas title game. You Garin or Garout on that eventuality now? Garin. Ollie Gordon, Cowboy Stadium. AT&T Stadium. Be something. All right, closing here. Garin or Garout on the coonskin hat? West Virginia coming. Uh, I told you there'd be levity. Uh, West Virginia coming to Norman. You think you could rock one? 
get on you wearing the coonskin hat. That's the specific question. Get out, man. I can't. I think it would be I, a good look. I got a soft spot for my furry friends, man. It makes me sad to see that thing. Hmm. Oh, I see. I see. So when you see a raccoon in the neighborhood, you're not. You're. you're I don't know if they're. Bro, you're getting in on the raccoons? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't want to wear one. Hmm. That's fair. It's pretty striking the first time you go to Morgantown and you see how prevalent they are. They're everywhere. I'm more, I'm Garrett inner on moonshine and even maybe, uh, no, that's not true. The, I'm more, I'm Garrett inner on musket on the musket that the mountaineer carries. Cause it doesn't sound like a nuclear explosion. Like every other firearm carrying mascot sounds in, in this league. Um, and I think I might even gear, be more, uh, gear in on, um, couch burning as a way of the, That's the coolest thing they do there. Yeah. Far and away the coolest. Thing. I think your favorite thing about West Virginia is Pittsburgh. So, well, that's, uh, <laughs> this is true. You, you've landed. Yeah. You bullseye. Absolutely. No, you, you're well, right. Garen, we're going to close there. Clunky finish. Uh, after a clunky OU game, that was that, that is, uh, art takes many forms. This Dude. is one of them. After the um, show, speaking of Pittsburgh, after the show, I'm headed straight for the. I don't care what time it is, man. I need an Iron City. An Iron City. I know, What's that? That's like that was the beer of choice in Pittsburgh before Yingling <laughs> became a thing. Ah, I see. Well, we could arrange for that from the City of Champions era of Pittsburgh. Mm. The, the the 70s. Back when your Steelers did all their winning. They. <laughs> Most of them. Uh, yeah, they were drinking Iron Cities, not Yinglings, I think, back in the 70s. When men were men, Eli. Well, <laughs> that was a different time. This is now, and that's it on the letter and jacket, starting off the week after a, a rough OU trip to Stillwater. We're back with plenty more. Garen and I will have tons on the Sooners this week from Norman. Uh, so will Barry Trammell, Jenny Carlson. We're going to have tons. I'll be back Wednesday with Todd Lisenby. He's back on a Wednesday. And uh, before we head out, a big thank you to our producers, Jacqueline Musgrove, Michael Martin, creative director, Michael Lane. Thank you for everything. And we will be back on the Letterman Jacket later this week.